All right, so yeah, we're gonna go ahead and get started. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, most of you guys know that I also did the African American Leadership Conference this year, so I was really excited about that. So to help me not be like more stressed out and to do more work than necessary, I thought I'd get my friends to come help me talk about diversity and racial reconciliation. And so each of us are um, on different campuses and each of us are doing a bomb job of engaging with our students and increasing diversity and also increasing racial reconciliation. And so instead of me just being up here like talking to you guys like the whole time, I figured we could do Q&A style and we have specific questions that we're gonna start off with, and their answers will be stuff that I was gonna say to you guys anyway, but you get to hear it from different perspectives. So we'll start off with questions that we already have, and then we'll do questions from you guys as well. And then I'd love to end with you guys just pairing off and praying for one another to be able to take what you've learned to go back to your campus and do racial reconciliation and diversity. Cool? Awesome. So I guess I'll do a quick prayer, and then we'll go ahead and start with questions. God, I just thank you so, so much for who you are. You are so loving, you are so kind, you are so faithful to care enough about us to be able to allow us to put on this conference and engage in these different topics, God. I just give you glory and honor for you are truly sovereign and you truly reign. And so I pray that you just guide these conversations. I pray that you allow us to go over topics and answers and questions that are beneficial for these students, Lord. Let it not be us that's talking, but the Holy Spirit talking through us, God. And Lord, Lord, just have your way. Have your way in this room right now. Um, and I just pray all those things in your name. Amen. 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 I'm going to use the microphone so I don't talk very loud. Okay, so the first question is introduce yourself, where you minister at, a fun fact, and why diversity and racial reconciliation is important to you. Do you guys want these? No. Y'all want the microphone too? Y'all can talk loud. Okay, well, if y'all want it. Okay, I'm Mary. Now I already know that. Okay, I'm Mary, and um, I am currently the interim director at Georgia Southern University, but I'm actually transitioning out so I can pioneer and plant a Chi Alpha at Spelman College and prayerfully Clark Atlanta and Morehouse. They are all historically black colleges in the heart of Atlanta, so I'm really excited about doing that. And um, I care about racial reconciliation and diversity just because I remember um, as a student, all the different things that I struggle with, and specifically because my dad retired military, so we kind of moved around a lot. So when I got to middle school, everybody called me Oreo. They're like, oh, you're black on the outside and white on the inside. And I was thoroughly perplexed, like staring in the mirror, trying to figure out, like, what in the world does that mean? I look black. I think I'm black. <laughs> Everybody keeps saying I'm white, though. And like, for real, y'all was having like an identity crisis and needed the Lord to come in and intervene and like teach me like that it was okay. And since I got to college and was able to experience Chi Alpha and these different conferences, like I really just want to encourage other people and equip other people on how to, I guess, help their peers and students like not feel that way, but also help minorities feel like just because people are saying that doesn't mean that that's true, you know? What about your fun fact? Oh, fun fact. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Um, I like Christian rap, I guess. Oh, wait, this is a fun fact. <laughs> this is a different fun fact, because I feel like most of you guys do that if y'all are at open mic night. <laughs> um, I do puzzles in Netflix. Like That's like my thing, my unwind time. <laughs> Hey, I'm Jackie Drain. I'm at the University of Memphis with my husband, and we absolutely love serving there. Um, before that, we were at UT Knoxville, 
and that's kind of where the Lord really grew my heart for diversity in ministry and just making sure that was the emphasis because I grew up in Atlanta. I grew up in a fairly diverse high school and um, I grew up with friends from all different backgrounds, nationalities. And when I stepped foot on campus at UT Knoxville, I got in the elevator. I looked at a girl across from me and thought, this is a girl, we live in the same dorm probably. And I said, hi. And she said, why are you talking to me, white girl? And I realized very quickly that everywhere was not the same as the experience I had growing up. The experience I had growing up was very much unity and I mean, not that everybody was saved in my high school because I went to secular high school, but everybody was friends. It was cool. It was something I look at like you, like they were still an interesting person and they had value, but at UT Knox, that was not my experience. And so I think it really birthed a heart in me that what I saw in my Kayafa, which had very much unity, very much diversity, and was about like embracing students in general. We just want students to know Jesus. And then my campus, where things were, were very segregated and pushed apart and there seemed like a lot of hostility. Um, so Lord really started to move in my heart to see that change just outside of Kayafa in general, learning to break down walls on campus and break down walls in our city. Um, and it's been really cool because we moved to Memphis. Memphis is, is similar but different, but people kind of like stay in their own pockets of people that look like them, and I hate it. And so I, I like to be the one that like jumps over those. And um, it's, it's really neat because our Kayafa has grown to reflect that since we planted, and um, now we just need white people. <laughs> okay, honestly, like this is, this is a Memphis yeah, kind of struggle. Um, we have many African Americans, many Latinos, many internationals. Uh, very many white, but we have three. Um, okay, like I mean, so so we're actually like struggling in in the other sense. Um, and I'm gonna hear about this strategy. Now. And fun fact, I also like Christian rap. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you have a soul. You have a soul too. I do. It's not rap. I don't. I don't rap. I enjoy. She has like an actual song out there in the world that she can um, listen to. Yeah. Uh, my name is Jordan Napoli. I'm at Columbus State University in Georgia. Uh, and fun fact, um, I just like regular rap. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, actually. Let's not go there. Um, I'm more in the late 80s, early 90s. So, um, I'm Chuck D in the gang, constantly. Um, but uh, the reason that racial diversity um, and kind of reconciliation uh, matters to me is uh, you would not think this by my skin color um, or even my name, but my family is. Uh, actually came here as illegal immigrants. And so, uh, if you've ever heard of the term WAP, a lot of people don't know what that means, it means without passport. And so my dad is full-blooded Italian, and but I don't look like an illegal immigrant family member. And so when I was little, my dad would sit me down, and we would have conversations where he said, you look white, you are going to be treated better than your grandparents were. And at seven years old, you don't know what that means. Eight years old, you don't understand that you're going to be treated as an equal and you're going to get opportunities that other people want. It is your responsibility to make sure that everyone is treated fairly. 
And so for a very young age, I did not understand how that looked or what that meant. But my dad would constantly say, this is the story of our family. This is how we were treated. I come from uh, Southern Louisiana. There's no Italians in Southern Louisiana. Um, and so we were still treated as minorities because we were weird um, or different. So I didn't understand that until I was older and I was uh, started working in a fast food place. But in the town that I live in, if you were white, you work at the nice restaurants. If you were a person of color, you work at the fast food places. But due to my schedule, I played football. I couldn't work at the restaurants, so I worked at a fast food place. And I was quickly promoted to management when I was not qualified. And there was another candidate who she was 26 years old. This was gonna be her career. She was gonna work at fast food for the rest of her life. Like this was her only chance to make money because of her education level and the things. In the interview, I said, you should not promote me. You should clearly hire this other person. I'm leaving and going to college. Like I have an opportunity, like I'm gone in a year and a half. Like for you to promote me, this is foolishness. And the guy doing the interview said, no, we just prefer managers who are more your kind. And that was my catalyst moment. That was the thing for me that just, it shook me. Because I never understood what my father was telling me and he was asking me. So I, I took the promotion, not realizing it, uh, what I was actually doing, but then I just conveniently worked it out to where when I left for college, she took my position. I helped her get the position, and that's what my dad said, is if you've given an opportunity, it's not fair, you need to make it right. And so that was a big deal for me. And so since then, I've tried to do my best to make things fair and give space. I can't say that I always did it right, but I've done my best. Uh, my name is Valkis Lehman. I am the diversity specialist for Chi Alpha. So uh, I work on every campus. Uh, and then I also am a part of a team in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, that's planning ministry at Historical Black College uh, in Winston-Salem State University. And at Salem College, I'm wearing a Salem College shirt today. Uh, <laughs> Kristen's our director at Salem College and Wake Forest University. So yeah, I have a busy life. Uh, so fun fact about myself is I love food, like amazing, like yeah, it's not a controlling issue, I want to say that, you know, I, you know it's, I can stop anytime I want, and so like probably in my pantry I have like four or five kinds of rice, that, that may be like a key to, yeah, to my issues, uh, I'm a foodie, like majorly, I'm a really tough foodie. So, um, but I'm not, I'm snobby, but I thought, if you invite me, I'm gonna eat your food and I'm not gonna be critical about it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm also critical about my cooking and everybody else. So, uh, why am I passionate about this? There's probably two answers. One is because God is passionate about it. I think, you know, like in our lives as believers, we need to like hear about what God cares. And I feel like that's what discipleship is. It's a process of caring, going from caring about what I care about to becoming the person who cares more and more every day about what God cares about. Like loving the things you love and hating the things you hate. 
And then, you know, when I was a young minister, you know, I live in Miami, I'm a Cuban girl from Miami, um, you know, had all kinds of different experiences in my life. Not bad experiences, because like, my Cubans rule Miami, so like, I think that wasn't like on the other side of So, you know, that's a whole different, you know, scenario. But, you know, just different things, you know, leading into starting a ministry, I was, um, I did my internship at Michigan State University. I went from Miami to Michigan when I was 22 years old. And was at Eastern Michigan University for 14 years. And my very first year there, I walked into the food court and realized all the black students sat on one side, all the white students sat on the other side. And I was like, it's, I mean, this is Michigan. You know what I mean? People think like the South has issues and like the North does not. That is such a lie. I just want to say that right there. Um, but anyway, so I'm like, what? And, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a policy, it's just self-segregation. And uh, so I, I just bothered me. So I just always sat on the black side, you know, when I, went, when I was in there. If I had a one-on-one with a white student, I'm like, let's sit over here. And they're like, why? I'm like, because there's a chair, you know? <laughs> so it just made a point of always sit there. And just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm when something bothers me, I want to do something about it. So, you know, people say, how did you get here? Well, it's got a lot of steps. And so you don't go from one place to the other in one day. You, you know, it's like many steps lead you there. And so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I, how I got kind of started. So do you agree that the solution to racial reconciliation is to just preach the gospel, yes or no? Or why or why not? I want to ask a clarifying question is, so when we say preach, do you mean with words or with actions? Because there's two ways to preach. Because the answer is preach. Yes, that is the right answer. But it's not from a pulpit is what I think it is. I think that, like, we do need to talk about from the pulpit. Like, we do need to preach on it. And the normal pulpit microphone setting. But to me, I do think we need to, it's, it's about the action component that matches the words. It's words and action consistently. And so I think because it is something that's deep on God's heart, it values diversity, it celebrates diversity, he created us to be diverse. And so it's very easy to preach a sermon on reconciliation and these things, but it has to be preached in our actions. So that, when I read that, I was like, yes, <laughs> if we change the definition to what it should be. It depends on the definition yeah. of the gospel. Yeah. I, I, think, I think maybe the question was more like, just talk about Jesus. Is that what the question was? Like, if we just talk about Jesus and reconcile people to the Lord, then an, uh, like a side effect. And I've heard people say this. I've had pastors say yeah. this. You know, I've had pastors say, well, yeah, I remember being at a, at a at a pretty high level high alpha uh, leaders meeting and like pouring my heart out pretty much in tears about like, man, we need to be like a kingdom body and not just, you know, not just ignore stuff and everything. And, and, and somebody, you know, getting up afterwards and saying, you know, on our campus, we just preach the gospel and make disciples and we have diversity and everything's awesome. Now here's what I know. I know people in that ministry who don't haven't shared with their leader 
this is some of the ways that I feel. And, and part of what they have to share today is they really appreciate that person. It's, it's not that they're scared, it's like they, 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 they really appreciate what God has done in their life through this individual, and it is dramatic. And so they feel like it's like a lack of gratitude yeah. to point out, yes, but. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I would say no, um, if it's framed that way, uh, you know, I would say no. Uh, I would also say that we need to redefine what the gospel is to Jesus' definition. Uh, we think the gospel is Jesus came to die for our sins so we can go to heaven. Uh, that's a, like, Americans, I love y'all, uh, but you like to oversimplify everything. You know? It's like, let's, you know, we, we want to make it efficient. We all are very efficient. I love efficiency. You know, Kristen works for me. She knows I love efficiency. But it's like, you know, like the whole full spiritual object, nobody knows what that is because that's like old as the hills. But it's like, I want to be able to like talk to somebody and in like just two minutes tell them the whole gospel. And so let's make it as simple as we can. God created us, sin came into the world, Jesus came, you know, and died for us. Now you can accept him. That's awesome in some ways, but what it produces is a whole, like, and this, you know, the whole, that thing, the four spiritual laws came out like 40 years ago. What it's produced is a very minuscule gospel that then when you, like I have people say, I didn't know justice was in the gospel. And it's like, really? Like, really? Like, read the, read the Bible. You know what I mean? It's like, anyway, I, I could talk way too long about that. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to. So we have to, one, redefine what the gospel actually is, like as Jesus defined it, that you can do that by reading, like, the gospels. Uh, that will help you. Uh, so I think, yes, to preaching, but preaching the real gospel, and then being intentional about stuff. All kinds of stuff that I'm not going to take a back up about. I would love to speak to this, because um, when I read it, so there is within Christianity this idea that if we just share Jesus, as well as saying salvation, right? Just get people saved, the rest will take care of itself. I'm currently in seminary. I'm taking classes at a seminary that embraces that as their truth. Okay? And so on a daily basis, when I'm in class, because I go to class in the morning, so I'm a campus pastor, okay? But you guys are like, <coughs> pastor, sleep at 8 a.m. So I'm, I'm going to like further my education during that time because I can't meet with students anyway. Um, but it's really opened a door to like pushing a part of my city that is very closed. They're like, we don't, we don't need to take on these issues of race. We don't need to take on these issues of culture. Our job is just to preach the gospel. And um, so my response, because I've thought about it a lot, because it is in my face every single day, is I really like to go to Isaiah, and I like to say, you know, it said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim the good news, right? Provide sight for the blind. Right, and and it keeps going right to heal the brokenhearted. Yeah. Um. And and like so, as we go and like to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, if we're to use that term, means not I'm not just sharing Jesus, right? But I'm addressing the wounds that people have, which means I'm in their life, right? And so if they're hurting, and if they're hurting from from an issue of racism, I'm to address that as a Christian. Right? Um, and then I'm supposed to 
encourage that. So if culture is hurting or culture is broken, the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, when we fully understand it, brings healing and wholeness. But sometimes we have to, like, put a finger on the sin and be like, that is wrong. Yeah. Right? As Christians, that's part of our calling. That's part of preaching the gospel. Same as that person that you are mentoring or discipling. Like, they go out and party all night, and you might be like, hey, what was that about? Right? And you're kind, but you're like, that's, that's kind of maybe not the best way to represent Christ. Right? Well, it's like if your roommate says a racist comment, it's still your calling to be like, hey, what was that about? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's like we let one thing go as Christians. We're like, oh, we, I don't really know how to engage talking about like racism. I don't really know how to engage talking about diversity, especially where it's broken. And I think to say, just to preach the gospel, like just to say, share Jesus Christ and nothing else is really us being sissies, right? Because if somebody, if somebody's broken, if somebody's hurting, like we apply the gospel by listening and prayer and healing as well, right? Not just like Jesus loves you, that make it better, right? <laughs> it's like He loves you, but but He loves you as who you are, who He created you to be. There's nothing wrong with that. If you don't look like me, that means He created you wrong, right? He created everybody absolutely beautiful in the image of God. The image of God isn't. A white man or a white woman and our culture is kind of taken on that a little bit in America and and even in discipleship I have a very good friend she's like a weirdo at my seminary like me but she likes to talk about um, like making sure in our discipleship that I'm discipling women of God I'm not discipling women of God who act white like me and you guys that's something hard and it's something to think about but when I disciple young women Right, and they come from African American culture, and they're trying to figure out how do I get engaged, how do I get married. Like we go to the Bible, and I'm like, you and the Lord process this. You don't have to do it like I did, right? You just have to honor Christ. And so when we share the gospel, we even have to be careful that we're not like adding our own our own culture to it. Thank you, guys. I think just a little bit that I'll add. Um, in the internship, I uh, learned how to study the Bible, and a large part of it was getting comfortable with realizing that I don't understand everything that's in there, so being intentional and going to seek out those answers. <clears throat> we, did, we do the presentation, and one of the questions like, do you have any questions? And I'm like, no, moving on. <laughs> and the person was like, the teacher was like, you have to have questions. And what it just taught me was that originally I just had this blind faith, you know, that even though I don't understand everything, I know that God is good, I trust God, so I'm just, I don't have to understand everything, I just know he's good. But what, I, what she was teaching me is that even if, I don't need the answer for myself, I need the answer for other people that have that question to be able to minister to them, to help them process it too. So if somebody comes up and they're like, well, um, how do I deal with racism, or how do I deal with this? I feel like sometimes we can be like, well, I don't know, just have faith. Or I don't know, don't you believe that God is good? Everything is going to work itself out. That's not good enough for this generation. That's not good enough for seekers. They want to know what is the Lord's heart. And so that's why, like, it does. It, en it encompasses all of that. And to ignore that part, for me and for ministering to other individuals, they can't even get to the real Jesus unless we answer that part. And so the gospel does encompass all of that. Um, so yeah. Cool, thanks.
So how can we seek to understand one another when controversial social justice issues arise like um, police brutality, um, Black Lives Matter, and the, the controversial thing about um, kneeling during the Pledge of Allegiance? most important thing is we need to, as believers, reframe everything in our lives by the gospel. And you look at Paul, uh, all of Paul's letters say, you know, grace and peace to you, like in the beginning, right? That's how the letters start, grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ or something like that. He took the, the common greeting of his day and he Christianized it. Okay? We have to take everything in the, that's what being a Christian is, you're taking our lives and kind of taking what's going on in our world and Christianizing it in some way. We have to reframe things. What happens is when we look at those issues, we frame them politically. Yes. Right? So like, if I'm a conservative, I'm with the cops. If I'm a liberal, I'm with the victim. And so we have this political frame for this is how I feel about this issue because I, this is my political you know, glasses. We need to take those off, stop on with our shoes, and destroy them, and put on gospel glasses. And the scripture that you mentioned out of Isaiah, which Jesus like used as his like, so why are you here in the world? Well, let me tell you, and he read that Isaiah passage, um, and basically the whole rest of the book of Isaiah, and the other prophets, you know, have all this, this stuff about, you know, the kingdom of God is about why Jesus was coming into the world. Uh, we have to reframe. So what, why, what does God think about justice? What does God think about oppression? What does God think about uh, how do we respond to justice? What does God think about how do we do justice? It, you know, it's like uh, Jesus was the victim of injustice. He was executed for crimes he didn't commit. Okay? He didn't get a fair trial. How did he respond in that? All those kind of things. So like the gospel has demands on all of us. It's not like I'm a white person, I need to feel guilty and you know what I mean? Okay, I think you know, drop the guilt and do something. Like you know, like Jordan was saying. Yes, I have privilege. One is recognizing I have privilege, and then two, now that I have that privilege, what do I do with it? How do I build this relationship? And then secondly, you know, if I'm on the other side, what do I do with it? I'm angry, what do I do with that? I'm hurt, what do I do with that? So I have to reframe that. You know, I think here's a, another reality. You know, there's a movement, there's a demonstration movement. If, if we're not as the people of God who have framed things in the, in the gospel, part of those movements, I'm gonna tell you, they're gonna get scary very fast. Okay, if we leave those movements to the angry, vindictive people, we're gonna have civil war and a lot of dead people. So we can't just abdicate. The worst thing that the church ever does is abdicate. This is why our campuses, we like to say, this campus was started for Jesus, but now look at it. That's because the church abdicated. So we have to be involved. So if you're a person of color, you're an African American, you be involved in the movements on your campus. Don't advocate them to like the people who are not going to reframe them yeah. in a gospel perspective. 
and, and process that. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do a little promotion. We're putting together a student class that's gonna like answer a lot of these questions. It's like an online class that you just take all on your own. And if you're interested in signing up for that, it's not produced yet. But if you wanna like, when it is produced, like take that class, we're gonna send it, I'm gonna send it a best, it's okay. Uh, this thing, because like you come to these breakouts, it really is not enough information. Mm -hmm. And so we wanna equip you, and so I'm gonna send this around. I, I do it at the end, but then people would have time. Yeah, yeah. So, that's my <laughs> I need your name and your email. I, I guess as the, the male and, uh, on this, it, it sometimes, I, I know in our ministry, there's been times when they've looked at me at the mic, with the microphone mm -hmm. and they said, oh, you're the problem. Yes. And I've had to address that. Yes. And, and so I started off with my, a little bit about my background, but I don't have time to share that background with people who are looking forward to saying, give me an answer to this. And so we've had to address in sermons issues of Ferguson, Colin Kaepernick, all of these events. We've had to preach on them. Um, we haven't done any recently, but uh, in, in the last couple years we did. And one of the things for me is, it's finding the truth, which is really difficult. <coughs> and so uh, I remember the, the Ferguson issue, the issue with Michael Brown, there's still, we don't know the full truth, of, like it's messy. So the reason he was, was killed is there's so messiness with the police report, there's, there's messiness in that circumstance. However, if you go look at Ferguson's history, the entire year before, there was over 70 instances of police abusing their power, and one of the lieutenants had just been put on suspension for saying, let's go fill our jail with darkies. That didn't make the news. Nobody was talking about why everybody in this town was angry. It was only dealing with the Michael Brown situation so that no one did their homework. Now I say this, the reason I know is my sister actually lived in the town next door called Clarksville. Ferguson in 1980s was 96% white. When people of color started moving in, the white people moved out and started a new city called Clarksville. And now Clarksville is 96% white. But the white people in Clarksville still run Ferguson. They're still the police chief, they're still the mayors, they're still, the, like they're all the officials. And so now the city of Ferguson is 80% black. So there's all of this history, but we got stuck on one issue and one incident that there was the messiness. So people were trying to go, ah, I wanna speak out of Black Lives Matter and things got confusing. And so we have to, we have to be good stewards of the truth. And so I agree with everything that Belkis is saying, that this, this is not a one or the other, it's a both, is that we have to do well with truth before we get angry or before we react. And so, it, it's my, either side. on either side, that's both sides. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm I use that one because I just so happen to have a family member but I couldn't find that stuff on the news until I really started getting into the, like going through and looking through the Ferguson's newspaper articles, looking through the FBI, uh, they did the whole thing on the police department for racial profiling. Like I had to really do a lot of homework, but I only knew that because of my sister. I didn't find that on Fox News and I didn't find that on CNN. It was only 24 seven coverage of Michael Brown in that situation. But they had a hundred other incidents that they could have used. 
it's just so that we, we have to be careful. We have to be good stewards of the truth, and we have to react. And and I will say this: the movement, the reason that Martin Luther King Jr. was successful in the civil rights movement is he had very clear principles and goals that were rooted in scripture. I think the Black Lives Movement has failed because it doesn't have clear goals that are rooted in scripture. And it's still trying to figure itself out, and I think it's still, but not to the degree, and it did not have the success that it should have had. And so whenever something doesn't find itself rooted in the gospel, it's never going to produce true reconciliation. And so we need to be careful when we jump on a side, does that side line up with the gospel? And if it isn't clear, if you can't easily hook it into the gospel, then you need to be careful how you respond or your actions and your attitudes and those kind of things. But that's hard. It's really hard today to find truth. So this is going to entirely be a quote from my husband in the way that he teaches people. He probably is a million times more well-spoken. You can hear from him in the next session, but if he says this again, it looks like it's super interesting you didn't hear it yet. Okay? Because <laughs> um, he's addressing like a different topic, but he might use the same illustration. But so for me, I always seek to understand, and if, if I feel like things are taking sides, like I'm gonna ask everyone questions yeah. on both sides, and then the people that haven't picked one, because like what's like what's wrong with you? You just don't care. Um, so I like to ask lots and lots of questions to everyone. And then I was a rhetoric major, so I don't really get mad at anyone's answers because I want to understand first. Okay. So this intersects with what my husband would teach, and it's three things. And I, this is why I want to share. It's really sticky, so you'll probably remember it. Is it stop, drop, and roll? Right, so in these situations where we have an issue come up and it's heated, right? And you start to feel your emotions, because we've all been there, right? It could be personal or it could be in the new, and we're like, you feel your emotions coming up, so you stop. So you just hit pause, okay? And then the drop stands for, so look at the issue and drop all of the emotion, okay? Like pause yourself and be like, what is this about? What is really being said? Okay, and then roll is like basically a picture of like the old Jewish scrolls, like in the Old Testament times. It, it was written on a scroll, and so they had to roll it out to read the scripture, right? So you stop, you drop the emotionalism, and you examine scripture, as they said. But it's like a really succinct way to remind yourself. So the next time, like, you get on Twitter, okay, it's always Twitter for me. <laughs> you get on Twitter, and then you see something, and you're like, why? And then don't look at the comments, but you do, right? And your emotions start to rise, and you're like, what is this about? Okay, it's like, pause, right? Drop the emotionalism, do some research, and be like, what is this actually about? Okay, and then consult scripture. And I think that'll help you figure out where you're at, and then you'll be able to engage others with a clear understanding. You can teach them, stop, drop, and roll. If they're not Christian, you know, then show you off. Yeah, and 
I agree with everything that everybody's been saying. I think for me, the biggest part in, in embracing these conflicts is not being afraid to have the discussion and not being afraid that somebody might disagree with you. That's okay. Because for me, I, what the Lord has really been trying to show me like over the years is that I desire peace more than I desire for somebody to be right or somebody to be wrong. And so we're called to be peacemakers. <laughs> Um, and so then my goal is just to understand your point of view. I'm not trying to say that I'm right or that you're wrong. Hopefully you're not trying to prove that you're right and that I'm wrong. I just want to understand your point of view. And that can happen over a myriad of different ways. Like you can just grab coffee with that other individual. Um, you can ask, you can talk to your staff and ask them to maybe do like a racial reconciliations luncheon or a talk with another ministry and then maybe have a mediator. <laughs> but I think it's just gonna be so important to open up dialogue and being honest that saying that like we see this we see this and I know that you might have feelings maybe different than mine like I know that you may have feelings and I definitely have feelings so I just want us to talk about them so that maybe I can understand your point of view because the the Colin Colin Kaepernick Colin Kaepernick Colin Kaepernick <laughs> his situation and yeah my bad but for his situation um I know like there was like two sides to that coin. Like there are a lot of individuals that were like, he's disrespecting the flag. But then there are a lot of individuals on the other hand that were like, okay, but he's just trying to like, to speak out and to do something and to acknowledge that there's an injustice. And what I really wanted both sides to, to, to do is say that maybe I understand why he's doing that. Or maybe on the other hand, I understand how that can be disrespectful to the flag, but like, can we understand why he's doing it? Like he's upset about something. So what's the why behind it before we're just like, that's wrong. And so, because <clears throat> um, I'll just tell you like my point of view, it can, it can be controversial, it's fine. You can talk to me afterwards if you like. My dad retired military, so I understand the importance of the flag, but I feel like he's doing the best that he can as a football player. Everybody is using their platforms. So I get to use the gospel because I'm a minister of the gospel. He's a football player, so that's all that he knows what to do. I'm not trying to, I mean, you know. And so I'm like, that's him, you know, using, using his influence to the best of his ability. I'm not trying to judge him as a minister. I don't even know if he's saved. So I feel like we have to stop putting expectations on people to do things the way that we would do them yeah. and, and instead just understand like what they're trying to convey from their action. It may be wrong, it may be right, but I want to understand the heart behind what you're doing though. Great, thank you guys so much. We just have a few minutes for if anyone else has a question they would like to ask the panel. You can just raise your hand and shout it out. Yeah. yeah, you go, and then the guy on the right will. Yeah. My question, I guess, to anyone who wants to answer it, I guess you've sort of spoken about this so far. Do you think the reason that the church has struggled with racial rec reconciliation, and in some cases experiences segregation, is because, as you mentioned, a lot of people have talked about the gospel as just about going to heaven when you die, mm -hmm. when really that's not a big topic in the Bible. It barely ever mentions heaven. It's about the new heavens and the new earth, the coming together, the new creation, and that we don't rec that we sort of end with us. That it's about me being saved rather than the whole world being saved, and that after I'm saved, that's putting me to right so that I can be involved in the restoration of the entire world. 
And do, do you think that it's because we overemphasize the individual and my personal thing rather than that of the whole world that we're not motivated to go out into the world and deal with these issues? So you're trying to say that humans are selfish? Yes. That's the, we took the gospel, we made it selfish. We made it about me instead of us. And the gospel, yeah. Um, we can't have the good us without God um, because we're not going to get along without him and we're not going to agree without him. We need an outside source to tell us how to get along. But we, yeah, we took the gospel, we made it about me, and if as long as I get to heaven and my family gets to heaven, I'm good. Like, and so, yeah, absolutely. Also, there's power in the gospel. I can use the gospel to manipulate people, and I can use gospel to control people. And so that, so the gospel became politicized thousands of years ago. That, that's what humans do when we become the center instead of God becoming the center. So. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, for me, the game changer for Chi Alpha that's helped me understand all of this, including racial reconciliation, has been one-on-one -on -one discipleship. But honestly, I haven't really found that in churches. Um, I feel like churches have gotten, have grown in the understanding that small groups are awesome, like that's great. But I'm telling y'all, I haven't found a church that understands that really knows how to do the one-on-one -on -one discipleship the way that Chi Alpha does it. And when you do that, when you spend one-on-one -on -one time with an individual and you share testimonies and you find out their broken places and you find out where they hurt, then you're you're way more able to be able to bridge the gap, no matter the color, you know? And so, yeah. This concept of the heaven concept kind of got invented by slave owners. Okay, the, the separation of the gospel, like separating out the justice part of it and just focusing on the going to heaven part, is a, it was something that was invented in slave days. And it was a very a purposeful decision to say, are we going to share the gospel with slaves? And, uh, and it was like, yes, but we only, Yes, we are, but we're only concerned about the eternal, the, the eternal like destination, and so there was a very purposeful decision. You know, I, I you guys have seen the posters of the people who like hate the Bible, and you know, put, you know, put up on the billboards, uh, you know, like slaves obeying their masters, and you know, like how the Bible was misused, and they like you know want to chuck the Bible because the Bible's you know bad, whatever. There's plenty of other things those slave masters did not quote out of the Bible. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't know, you know, like even within those same books and passages. Uh, but there was, you know, like Jordan said, the Bible can be manipulated just like anything else. And so, you know, just understanding the historic context that this movement to individualize the Bible and to make it private, yeah. to make your religion a private experience. Christianity in the first century was not a private experience. Okay? And even like, uh, we, 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 we talked about this, and, and part of it is our framework of we, you know, I want to, I'm, I'm dealing with you and your life and stuff, and that's all awesome, but the gospel actually came to transform the world. Right. Right there. And, and it did. And not only came to do that, it actually did that. Uh, so, but we made a movement towards individuality, especially this culture. This culture is very individualistic anyway. 
but there was a movement that way historically because we said, well, okay, we can preach the gospel to the slaves, but only but all we want to talk about is, okay, you can go to heaven. You know, let's not let them go to hell. We feel bad about that. Let them go to hell, but we don't want to make any changes to their life right now, or, or like view them as our brothers and sisters, or any of that kind of stuff. And so that there were some very purposeful theological decisions made, and we have inherited those theological decisions and think that they're actually true and accurate. And we, that's why I'm saying we need to go back to the Bible and actually read it and see what it actually says about what the kingdom of God is. You know, it, it's it's literally about God ruling, not about us. And it, it really is not even about us more. They said we, the exciting thing is we could get access to that kingdom. Not like Jesus came to do this for me. Does that make sense? Jesus came to bring God's kingdom into this world because this world is a mess and only with his rule can it be fixed. Uh, so I could talk too much about that. <laughs> Did you have a question? Yeah, it wasn't so much a question. It's just like um, something I wanted to add on as an agreement with all of you. So like, no matter what controversial topic we're talking about, I just think it's important to, um, like, if we're asking somebody's opinion on, like, a topic, whether it's, you know, Colin Kaepernick or Black Lives Matter and peace and all of that, um, you can't, like, if somebody's, if we ask somebody their opinion and they are leaning towards one side, we can't automatically associate that with that person with that group and, like, you know, automatically think that they condone and agree with everything that that group is about. So if, like, if I were more leaning towards the Black Lives Matter side or the police side, that doesn't automatically make me, you know, believe that everything that the police do is good and great. And, like, we understand that all people are broken, and no matter what side is good, no matter what side is bad, no matter if we think that side is good or bad, all people are broken. And um, without the, the power of Jesus Christ, that's, that's not... It's not going to change. Um, so, yeah. I just, yeah, I just wanted to add that. I just yeah, that's different. I agree 100%. Any other questions out there? Just on the microphone. That one and then you. Yeah. Um, what are some practical things that you guys have done to apply the new concepts you're talking about? Okay, yeah, okay. I was going to promote a book, so. Okay, I had um, a girl in my group for our one-on-one. -on -one. She specifically wanted to talk about social justice in our one-on-one. -on -one. And I was like, ooh, how do I do this? And so I told her um, there were a lot of different ways that we could do it. Like we could find controversial things on the news and look at God's perspective of it. Um, another thing that we did, I can't remember the YouTube series. There's this YouTube series out there where they get um, different people on opposite ends of the spectrum. And they- What's it called? Project. Is it Do You Believe Project? So, do you, it's like the middle ground? Is it middle ground, ground? that. The, the company is the Do You Believe Project, but the okay. Ground. Yeah, the middle ground. And so that was actually really thought-provoking for us. So it provides different people on opposing um, sides. So one of them was like the church and the LGBTQ community. The other one was like immigrants and Trump. I was like, ooh, that's just giving me anxiety like thinking about it. But, <laughs> but we listened to that video and we talked about it and we talked about the different perspectives and we just talked about like God's biblical view. So yeah, for one hour, once a week or every other week, we were specific in engaging an intentional conversation. Even though it made me like super uncomfortable, we did that.
So if you don't know, I was at the book table, that's what I do. I love books because I think other people are a lot smarter than me. And uh, as, as I shared my testimony, I, I've screwed up a lot in trying to help with reconciliation between different people's groups. Like when I, I, I think I'm more of an expert because of all the mistakes I've made, and I just got a couple right in the end. Um, and so I recently found this book called Roadmap to Reconciliation by Brenda McNeil. If you want to come take a picture of it later, you can. Um, this is a phenomenal book because she keeps it rooted in the gospel. She has questions for you to ask for yourself personally and action points and things to move you forward. And she, the definition of reconciliation that she has, I have really struggled since I've become aware of what my responsibilities are in living this life as a Christian, no one has a good definition of reconciliation. Because it's usually just, oh, we need reconciliation between whites and blacks. Or we need reconciliation between men and women. That's not true. It's bigger, it's, it's a lot larger, and it's from all groups to all people in all situations. And she really goes into that. Um, but it has clear roadmap signs of how to not only live a lifestyle of reconciliation with other people, but also how to foster it in your communities and the people around you. Um, and she works with campus ministries. Like she, she specializes with college groups and businesses and helping them foster reconciliation. Um, so I really want to, it's not long, like it's super short. And most of the stuff is things for you to do and to process and to pray through, and she backs it all up with tons and tons of scripture. And so it's very rooted. Yeah, that's going to have time. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. So we talk a lot about how to do racial reconciliation in our country between ourselves, but how do we tackle the topic of like illegal immigration or when Trump wanted to he banned the uh, immigration of the Muslim countries over the how do we address those issues? <laughs> <laughs> so two things. This kind of ties into the other question, but a huge motto on our campus that we teach our students is love well. Right? So in, in looking at all of those things, like we always, always ask the question, like, are we loving well? What's the best way to love well? And I feel like even in those situations, it helps engage conversations about about these very heated political things. Um, we have many conversations about it on our campus. We have many students in Bonner and Kappa who are illegal because um, our, our campus welcomes um, like illegal immigrant or children of Ill, illegal immigrants, and so um, we have like scholarships available and stuff like that. And so. Um, you know, it's it's not an unnormal thing. Like I'm talking weekly basis, where like one person in my life group asks for prayer because a family might get deported, and another girl in my life group is like, shouldn't they? Okay, I mean like, so this is like a daily, um, and in those moments, I mean, so it's like, we're always like pause, but I mean, we really have to say like, yeah, we'll pray. And like, whether or not you agree, with that situation, you can agree that like, if her best friend's father has to leave the country, that's gonna hurt, right? And and so like, I want I want you to like pray for her, 
you know, and then I want you to pray, and, and I want you guys to get together, and I go a lot with them, <laughs> right? Because, like, I mean, you know personalities in your life, right? And so you know if they can have a conversation, or if they need help having a conversation, <laughs> right? We're all sensitive human beings. Um, but but I, I make them share, and it's very on a one-on-one -on -one thing, right? I mean, sometimes it's not a one-on-one -on -one thing, right? Like, we're in Sunday school, because so our campus, diversity, like I said, everywhere else, our city struggles, okay? My church is predominantly white. They do not think like me. So we'll be in Sunday school, and um, like people will be like, who agrees with the wall? Every hand goes off. Who disagrees? One couple's hands go off, just me and my husband. Everyone stares. I'm like, I would love to explain why. Right? And that's awkward. Like, I'm, I'm talking, like, you're in a room of 30 people, and everyone stares at you like, you crazy. Right? Um, it's awkward, but we've got to be willing to, like, peacefully address that and, and, like, just really, like I said, ask questions. So in those moments, ask questions like, why? Why do you feel that way? And, like, man, what if that was you? You know? Because <coughs> we're selfish, right? We already addressed this. Yeah. We're selfish. So if you put them in their shoes, right, it's very To Kill a Mockingbird. It's one of my favorite books, though. But like, ask a question that puts them in the shoes of the person they're opposing, or them in the shoes of, of like the people or the general, you know, just be like, man, what it would be like. Not that that's gonna change everything, but it makes them consider it from a different perspective very quickly. And it can take a lot of heat out of the conversation that's about to just like light up. You know, I'm always going to say we bring everything in the gospel. I'm just going to ask you. Uh, I think the individual's approach is awesome. I think, you know, we, why, what's our framework for how we make these decisions? You know what I mean? And it's very complicated. I'm an immigrant. I was a legal immigrant because I'm a Cuban and we've had preferred immigration pretty much for 50 years. And is that fair? And why do we get that? Is it because we're more white than not? You know what I'm saying? So there's reasons for things that you have to think through. And and so, you know, what is our, our job as believers? Is it to, you know, hoard the resources of our nation and not show It's a really, like, what is our job? Does that make sense? So we have to, like, ask ourselves some questions about the reality of people's lives. I think Jesus was an illegal immigrant. Like, his family went to Egypt. I'm not sure they got papers. You know, yeah, he was a refugee. Uh, but did he immigrate legally? I don't know. Was that? It was legal. Yeah, I don't know. It's all Roman. He was refugee, not illegal. Oh, there you wow. go. There you go. There you go. Uh, so, so apparently, all you can just go wherever you want in the Roman Empire. Uh, but here's the thing: we there, there are individual stories, and what we want to do is look at people as groups. Yes. And so we have to like think about the, the individual, what's what's transacting. And and we and hello, I'm a mom. My son just texted me, can I go out and take pictures on the city? And I said yes, with fear and trepidation. I'm like a very protective mom. Okay? Like watch those YouTube videos about the Cuban mom, that is me. <laughs> I am that mom. Uh, and so I want to keep my children safe. And so we have why do people have certain perspectives? What's the root of that perspective? And sometimes it's fear. 
okay? So uh, something that, that grows out of fear is not the kingdom. Something that grows out of hoarding is not the kingdom. Something that grows out of us and them is not the kingdom. But I think most things are best uh, solutionified. <laughs> not a word. It's not a word. That's not a word. That's a good word. Uh, so most, somebody said, I want to get in politics. I said, work in local politics. Yeah. Besides that, it's a waste of your time. That sounds horrible, but it kind of almost is. If you want to have an effect in this world, do it locally. Probably in your town, there are there are, there are refugees, there are people, help people. Like the example you said about the small group, it's like, I don't know if I should pray. You know what, like, why? Why would you not pray for a person? I mean, it's, I'm not saying pray that he doesn't get, I don't know what God wants, but I can pray God intervene, and he's gonna do what he wants, but I, I can pray, I can, I'm not sure, if I don't care about a person's situation, what, why am I even, I think like, I'm gonna tell you one last story, and I know I talk too much. Um, Alexander the Great, you guys heard of him? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, he was you know, obviously this great general, and he had a deserter that came before him, and he was going to be executed for deserting his army. And he said, uh, what is your name? And he said, well, actually, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great, he didn't kill him, but he said this to him, change your name or change your life. And I think some, some of us wear the, the badge Christian, and I think the Lord sometimes will say to us, change your name or change your life. Yep. It would be so We'll still be here for salt, of course. Um, I know we didn't get a time for you, chance for you guys to split up, um, pair up, and pray, but you guys can still do that through the conference. And I really just want to challenge you guys to pray that the Lord will um, allow your paths to cross with somebody that's different than you, so you can practice like what we're learning. You know, you can do yeah. lunchroom buddies, evangelism, whatever. Pray for an open door just to be able to do this. So you guys are awesome. Um, hope you enjoy Matt. He's coming up to talk to you guys next. And so, yeah, thanks, guys.